All right, man, it is so good to see you. I want you to take a Bible either in your hand if you brought one or on your smartphone, or if you have a stupid phone that has the Bible too, that's fine. Uh, I also wanna tell you that the best way to engage at Summit Church is through the phone app. So if you have Android or Apple, um, you can get the phone app. And on the phone app is, uh, th- this is really great because all the teaching notes are there when you go to the homepage. You can click on uh, message notes. It'll take you right to today's. You click that and all the scriptures are there. Everything we're gonna talk about is there. And there's a place for you to type your own notes to yourself and send them to yourself or to a friend. So uh, I have been around the block and I've seen lots of church apps and I've never found one better than this one. You can choose the things that matter to you. You'll get notifications about the events you care about. You can do your giving through there so you can give God his tithe and your offerings through the phone app. There's just so much you can do. So I just wanna encourage you with the phone app. Either way, pull up some scriptures today. We're gonna go to, I'll tell you what, we're gonna go to Proverbs uh, chapter 16, but just for one verse. And then we're gonna go to 1 Peter 5. So why don't you go to 1 Peter 5? The rest, it's all gonna be on the screen so you can cheat uh, if you want to, if you're a cheater. Or you can turn there. Or you can download the app while we stand here. Uh, I want to remind you, my name's Jim. And let me tell you, uh, if you're new here, you might not know this. I, this is my sixth Sunday here. So I'm, I'm the new guy. I'm the new old guy. And uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. But I want to keep encouraging you with what God is up to here. Man, he's building us into a community faith. So some of you come online or you come to the room uh, on a Sunday and this is the place where you get to connect with God. And it's kind of, I, I do my Sunday thing there and, and that's all. And that's totally fine. Uh, we welcome, we welcome that, honestly, uh, especially if you're on a faith journey of trying to figure out who God is. And we believe God is weaving us together into the people of God for this particular region We believe that he's speaking to us. We believe he's weaving our hearts together. We believe there's something profound in his heart. And as we get, you know, in the process of discerning that, it feels like God is going to reclaim our history. He's gonna redeem our story. We'll share a lot about the story of this church, 41 years old, and there's a lot of pain and heartache in that story and a lot of redemption and beauty. And then he's gonna restore our original mission that he had in mind when this place was birthed 41 years ago. So we're really excited about where God has taken us. And uh, it's my heart that you, if you want a community of faith, if you want a family, that you would uh, consider locking arms and being a part of this family. We're super honored that you're here. So we've been in this series because our focus is to be the people of God. And we've been learning about uh, really John 6, 29. Okay, so we've got one verse that I've been asking you to memorize. We only have one more week, I think of this, two more weeks of this. So you have two more chances to commit this verse to memory. Um, John 6, 29, they asked Jesus, what are the works that God requires? Here was his answer, verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so we've been doing a deep dive. What does it mean to believe in the one he sent? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And it means to believe in him, not just with our brain, not just with our Sunday morning, not with just our free ticket to heaven when we die, but to believe with every part of who we are, like to be his person, to give our lives to him. 
and to be disciples of Jesus, which is to say to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. This is the whole cry of God that you just believe in the one he sent. What's beautiful about that is anyone can do that. And so we've been learning how to deepen our belief in Jesus. And we're using Proverbs chapter 16, verses one through six, to guide us through these spiritual disciplines that help us deepen our belief in Jesus and deepen his work into every part of who we are. So uh, we're gonna go to Proverbs 16. We're at verse five today, and then we're gonna be in 1 Peter 5. So I'm gonna invite you, it's our practice to stand for the reading of God's word if you're willing and able to do so. And so let's start at Proverbs 16 and verse five. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse five. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. That is a quote from Proverbs 3. We'll look at that later. And it's quoted twice in the New Testament, right here in 1 Peter 5, and then again in James chapter 5. So it's a big deal to the disciples. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Man, I love that. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you so much. So, uh, man, we're deepening our belief in Jesus. And in this Proverbs chapter 16, we've been going through these six verses. And today, we're, and we're learning spiritual disciplines. And to, re to remind you, a spiritual discipline is not just you doing your willpower. Like, I'm trying harder, trying harder, trying harder. Uh, it is about a spiritual discipline, meaning that we trust the Holy Spirit to help us do more, be more, then we could be on our own. And so it's about making room for the Holy Spirit to partner with us. And so the spiritual disciplines we've been walking through have been helping us deepen the work of Jesus in our lives. And today, we're gonna talk about the spiritual discipline of humility. And I gotta tell you, this is, and it's so amazing, this is what's so great about the scriptures. You get in there and you go, God, this is the most important thing I've ever seen. This is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I feel like as we talk about this conversation, particularly in our culture and in our world, this is a, very rare reality is humility. In fact, we're encouraged not to be humble. We're encouraged to advocate for the self, to put the self first. And so here we're gonna have a conversation with the word of God that tells us how God feels about pride, how God feels about humility, and how God responds to humility. So man, this is really important. And this isn't just important so you get your theology right. This is important because God is actually interacting with your life in real time based on this ingredient alone, your pride or your humility. And so as we look at Proverbs 16, what I noticed this morning that I hadn't seen before is in all six of the verses that we're using this series, 
the word Lord is in there. And this one is the Lord. That name is Yahweh. It's spelled Y-H-W-H. They don't use any vowels because the Jews believe that name was so sacred you wouldn't even speak it. The holy God of everything detests the proud. What a strong word. The proud of heart. Be sure of this, they'll not go unpunished. Let's talk about pride for a second. The Lord, and here's our big idea today, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is, this is the point of our conversation today. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's really important that we understand what proud is and what humble are because we want God to respond to us. And here's the staggering idea of this. You get to choose how God is responding to your life in real time. You set the pace. If you're proud of heart, you're going to encounter the opposition of God. If you are humble, you're going to encounter his favor and his grace. In the New Testament, that word is charis, where we get the word charismatic or grace gifts. And so it is the grace of God is lavished on the humble. But proud people, they get a different response from God. Proverbs 16 says, he detests the proud of heart. That means it's an abomination to him. It's disgusting to him. Pride, this is really interesting. And not like, you know, I have five adult kids. I have five grandchildren and I'm really proud of them. And that doesn't disgust God that I'm proud of my kids. There's something specific he's, he's pointing us toward that is actually detestable to God. What is that? Well, it's interesting because that 1 Peter 5, and I told you James 5 verse 6 also quotes, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is an Old Testament quote from Proverbs chapter 3. But what's interesting is Proverbs chapter 3 doesn't word it that way. <laughs> so Proverbs 3.34 is the verse they're quoting. Here's what it says. God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Let's leave that verse on the screen for a second. I want you to see this. God mocks proud mockers. What is pride then? Pride is essentially mockery. When you think about this, when we're proud, we, we, what do we do when we're in a state of pride? We condescend. We see people as less than us. We see people as having less than us. They're maybe not as smart, maybe not as resourced, not as successful, maybe not as spiritual, whatever, pick your poison. But we, we have, and, and here's the thing, the way you feel in that moment is actually a mockery of God for this reason. Everything you have, you received from God. So like Tiger Woods and his amazing golf skills, I'm in the motocross and there's this young kid who just wins every race. And if he had a, for him to have an inflated sense of look at me, it's a mockery of the God who gave that gift. Everything you have, you received from God. It makes you know better because God gave you this package instead of this package instead of this package. But I like my package better than I like yours or even worse, I like your package more than I like my own. I just realized that's a term that could be taken in a sexual way. Sorry about that. Uh, it didn't cross my mind until right now. Uh, but, you know, we compare and we feel good. And it's a mockery. It's a mockery 
Because what God loves and God detests it. Man, he, he detests. Another word there for uh, mockery is scorn or condescend. God hates that. And when you're in that state of being, you have encountered and will encounter the direct opposition of God, for God opposes that. But look what the rest of the verse says. He shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Both of those words mean bowed low. The New Testament word for humble means of low status. So what is pride? Pride is mockery. Humility is low status. And if you look at Proverbs 3.34, he shows favor to two kinds of people, the humble and the oppressed. Both mean bowed low. So here's who God really leans into. He leans into people who bow themselves and he leans leans into people who are being pushed down. God loves oppressed people and he loves people who give themselves low status. This is how you draw the favor of God into your life, is to be a person who decides to take low status even if you deserve high status. Now, we're gonna talk about real practical ways of this in a second. God is actually opposed to people who are condescending, mocking, proud, arrogant, who believe that they are something I'm gonna read you a long quote. I've been reading a book, and man, I just encourage you to be a reader. Reading is fundamental. (laughs) You're probably too young to know that, but uh, I'm reading a book right now called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And this is a quote out of that book. Our sun and moon and eight planets are just one little neighborhood. This is just to show you how, how tiny we are in God's creation, are just one little neighborhood among an estimated 200 billion neighborhoods that make up our universe. If we think of the Milky Way galaxy as being the size of the entire continent of North America, so if you, if you jam the, our Milky Way galaxy into just North America, our solar system would fit into a coffee cup There are two Voyager spacecrafts that are cruising toward the edge of our solar system at a rate of more than 35,000 miles per hour. They've been doing that for more than 40 years. And they have traveled more than 11 billion miles with no end in sight. When NASA sends communication to one of those Voyagers traveling at that velocity, it takes about 17 hours for the message to get there. That data has led scientists to estimate that to to send a speed of light message to the end of our universe would take more than 15 billion years to arrive. Okay, so, you know, in case you're feeling really big, just wanna remind you, we are tiny. Why is it a mockery to God for us to have arrogance and proud hearts? Because you just don't even know what you are. And not only are we tiny, one of my favorite sayings is, with one tiny exception, the world is made up entirely of others. I'm the one tiny exception, right? Not only is it a mockery to think that you're the most important other in the entire world, that's a mockery to God, but it's also a mockery to 
to lose sight of yourself and your place in relationship to this kind of God. God detests that. But boy, let me show you what he does. He pours favor. He pours grace on two kinds of people. Those who take lowly status and those who are shoved into low status. He really leans into both of them. And so the question is, how do I practice humility by choice? And now we're gonna camp out in 1 Peter 5. So if you've got that passage, this passage is gonna walk us through three ways for us to really kind of learn the spiritual discipline of humility and actually move toward God's heart. Because man, I cannot emphasize enough, if you want the favor of God on your life, and I know you do, you wouldn't be gathering, watching online if you didn't want the favor of God. Man, I want his favor. I want his grace on my life. Uh, some of you are getting slobber knocked right now in your life. Slobber knocked's a football term. It's uh, when a player is running at full speed, typically special teams players, running at full speed and out of nowhere, a guy hits them and if the camera sees it right, their mouthpiece goes flying and a little bit of slobber flies out. They go, man, that dude got slobber knocked. That's what that is, in case you didn't know the technical term. And some of you are getting slobber knocked in your life right now. And you know what you need? You need the favor of God. I believe that in our lives, no matter what's going on, winning, static, or losing, the greatest need in our life is more of God. And if we humble our hearts, if we choose low status before God, it's not self-loathing. This is the fascinating thing. Self-loathing people can be more self-obsessed than anybody because they are wrapped around how much they hate themselves and how terrible a person I am and how awful I am. And they're just consumed with themselves. This is the same thing as being proud of heart. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less and putting yourself in your proper position in the realm of the entire creation, right? Like, man, humbling myself before God, humbling myself before each other. So, so I say all that to say that some of my family right now are getting slobber knocked. Uh, my wife is not here today. She drove to Dallas Wednesday morning because uh, my son-in-law in Texas is having a real crisis. And she wanted to jump into the family need. This morning, she texted me that my brother took my mom to the ER uh, because she wasn't feeling well. I could go on with lists of things that we're facing, but I know there's things you're facing. And can I just tell you, whether you're winning or whether you're getting slobber knocked, humility before God is the place to be because we need his favor. Man, we need his grace. We need his favor. So I want to give you just out of 1 Peter 5, three really practical ways for you to move toward humility with God. And so uh, they come for us in this passage and it starts, the first one, I would word it this way. The first way that you pursue humility is to clothe yourself with it. And it is a, it is a relational decision. So he first goes with how we interact with other humans. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. So the first step for us is to clothe ourselves 
with humility in relationship to other humans. Now, he starts off with youngers uh, humbling themselves before their elders. And I got to tell you, I'm officially an elder. Uh, one of my kids told me I'm a geriatric. I didn't know that. Uh, uh, I forget, I was going to do some physical activity and they're like, dad, like you're a geriatric. You shouldn't do that. Uh, but I can tell you people in my generation do not believe that younger people are humbled before them. And I talk to lots of younger people who say that older people don't love or care about them. So this is just thinking about generational tension. That happens in the workplace. That happens in our families. Just think about generational tension. God is saying, take low status. This is what clothing yourself means. In relationship with other humans, choose low status. That's the simple description of this, is to clothe yourself with low status, even if you have high status. So uh, if you're in a position of power, you clothe yourself with low status in the interaction with the people you have power over so that you are not lording over them. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, I'm teaching you a valuable lesson right now. The Gentiles, the pagans, when they have power, they, they call them benefactors. They use their power to benefit themselves. And he says this phrase, it shall not be true of you. I've washed your feet and I'm teaching you what you should do with others. That is take the low status and wash feet. Now, one of the hardest parts about being a servant is when people treat you like one. And then you'll want to bow back up and say, hey, listen, I'm choosing the low status here, but I actually have some power, right? And you might do that in a relationship with a marriage or, you know, whatever, uh, a parent-child or family members or whatever. You may start serving and then they take advantage of you. I have learned this in life. If you're willing to serve, people will let you. It's okay. And you might say inside, but I'm a better person. Yes, you might be. I have a more important role. Yes, you might have. Choose humility. Clothe yourself with low status. Now, the important thing for you to realize is when you do this, you look more like Jesus than any other time in your life. Philippians chapter 2 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Why? In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here was the mindset of Jesus, who being in very nature, God himself did not consider equality with God a thing to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the form of human likeness, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more and became obedient to death, humbled himself even more, death on a cross, a criminal's execution, Therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is the way of Jesus. 
and we claim that we are disciples of Jesus and we wanna live the way of Jesus, well, here's the primary way of Jesus is to take the posture of low status every single time. But what if they abuse that? But what if they, what if they don't see me for as valuable as I actually am? We're talking about God himself took on flesh and suffered at the hands of his own creation. And this is the model of clothing yourself with humility. You know, when you go back to him washing the disciples' feet, it says, right before he washed their feet, it says, Jesus, knowing that he had come from the Father and was returning to the Father, knowing that God had all things in his hands, disrobed himself, put a towel around his waist and washed their feet. So it's what we know that enables us to clothe ourselves with humility. I know my status with God, no matter what you think of me. I know that I come from God, that I'm with God, that God values me, that God loves me. I know that God will lift me up, even if you choose not to. Because I know that, I can join Jesus and take low status in every relational scenario because then the favor of God's poured out of my life. And the favor of God is what the people who I'm dealing with anyway need the most too. So step one, man, is to make a relational decision that you're gonna choose low status and you're gonna clothe yourself with humility. It doesn't mean you're not important. It doesn't mean you don't have the power. It doesn't mean you don't even have the authority. It means you are positioning yourself relationally in low status. God loves this because you look and you smell like Jesus. If you ever around humble people, like truly humble people, and they're hard to find, this is one of the reasons Moses is my favorite Bible historical figure other than Jesus himself. It says in uh, Exodus that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Now, he wrote that, but that's kind of cool. You know, uh, it's, it's like, uh, hey, my book table's in the lobby and you should buy my new book, Humility and How I Achieved It. Uh, and yet he was, and you watch how he interacts with God, how he interacts with Pharaoh, how he interacts with the Israelites, the low status posture every single time. And God loves to pour his favor on that. So step one, first Peter five is clothe yourself with humility in relational environments, make the relational decision to be the least important person in the room to take low status. I'm telling you, this is rewarded. This is powerful. The second decision is a personal posture decision, and that is place yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is where he picks up in uh, verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So as I clothe myself with humility toward others, I also make the decision personally to posture myself under the mighty hand of God and cast all my cares on him. Listen, it's not going well, Lord. I'm taking the humble path. I think I need to take the open up a can of kick butt on these guys. I think I need to power up. I think that, I think that fighting for myself and advocating for myself is the right play here. And, and God says, no, I'm gonna pour out my grace on you here. Take the low status. Let me fight your fights. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll repay, Right? So I place myself under the mighty hand of God and I cast all my anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for me. 
So this is a spiritual decision. This is a personal decision. I can place myself in the low posture in front of others because I've placed myself already under the mighty hand of God. Who can do anything? You know, in Matthew 18, Jesus is talking to this rich young guy who says, hey, I want, I, want to, I want to have eternal life. What do I do? Jesus said, well, how about just obey the law? He says, okay. And he lists a bunch of the laws. And he says, you know what? I've been doing that. What else do I lack? Well, here's what you lack. I'll tell you what, get, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the dude walks away, he walks away sad because he's of great wealth. And we don't know if he ever circled back. We don't know the rest of his story. But the disciples are watching this and they go, Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle than it is for a person with possessions to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's how hard that is. And they are shocked. Now I've heard people try to argue, well, there's a gate into Jerusalem called the, the needle gate and camels could get in there, but they had to get on their knees and take off their position. It's all crap. I've done archeological studies, I've researched this, and explain to me why the disciples are so shocked if that's the case. They are shocked and they ask this question, who then can be saved? Jesus' response, with man it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You know what he's saying there? We, the chances of us managing money and possessions in a God-honoring way, and having those things be in their proper place in our lives, it's easier to get a camel through an eye of a needle. You're thinking really, you're thinking Bezos and those guys. No, 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 you and me. Globally speaking, we are grotesquely wealth, wealthy. And what Jesus is saying to us, you need to hear this. Like even the odds of you getting things right with money is so low that it's impossible without God. But with God, it is possible. So we keep our low state because we're all struggling. Listen, man, none of us are cracking the code on getting right with God. None of us are perfect. And I need God. So I clothe myself with humility toward one another and I place myself under the mighty hand of God. Third thing is then he says, uh, be alert and sober-minded. So now I choose the humble path of alerting myself that I have an enemy who's on the job. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone. Everybody's suffering. But listen, there is an enemy. And you know, when it comes to the devil, I find two extremes. People who say, ah, oh, there's no devil, uh, whatever, devil schmevel. I'm a Christian. He can't touch me, you know, uh, or people who see demons everywhere. Jesus reminds us multiple times, and the New Testament authors remind us, this warfare is real, so be alert and sober-minded, like humble yourself. There's even a passage where uh, people who have an arrogant attitude toward spiritual powers are corrected, and they refer back to even... Uh, I think it was Daniel in the Old Testament who, when he confronted an evil force, said, the Lord rebuke you. Like the Lord has authority over you. Without the Lord, you could have your way with me. So I humble myself even in spiritual warfare and I allow the Lord to fight my battles for me. So 
Let's practice the spiritual discipline of humility. How? It's a relational decision. I'm going to clothe myself with humility in every relational environment, and I'm going to take the low spot. Second, I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God because he will fight my battles. He will lift me up in due time. He cares for me, and I can cast all my anxieties on him. And the outcome in my life is not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. You can choose whatever you want to choose in my life, but God himself is going to fight for me. And three, stay humble with God in the reality that we live in a battle zone. If you think life is a playground, you're going to expect that you should be able to play and have fun and everything's wonderful. If you recognize that you were born into a battleground, you will understand that there's warfare going on and I humble myself before the Lord to fight these battles for me. And that leads you then to the favor of God. What does it look like for God to give grace to the humble? He finishes with that, verse 16. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered for a while, will himself restore you. Will himself make you strong. Will himself make you firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever, amen. I humble myself before God and before others because God holds my life in his hands and he is so cosmically bigger than anyone and anything. I place myself in proper relationship there and God himself will restore me. This is where our hope is found. This is what it is to be a, to, this is what it is to believe in the one he has sent. To believe that God is in the process of redeeming us, restoring us, fixing all the wrongs, it's gonna happen. So we trust him. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna move into a time of response. And I want you to take, I want you to take just a short time right now to stay laser focused on our first response, which is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to consistently choose humility. I gotta tell you, I've been working on this in my life for quite a while. And all it takes is a belligerent Denver driver for me to scream out at the top of my lungs in my Jeep, oh, you are the most important person in the world, aren't you? You need to get there faster than me, don't you? You little. Boy, it could just go away like that. Like, I really am more important. You can't do that to me, to be mistreated by someone. You can't do that to me. Boy, you just want to raise up all the time. And so this is, Lord, help me. And then this is what I want you to do right now. Our second response is always to bless your oikos. These people God has placed in your traffic pattern. That's a Greek term for extended household. We believe God is bringing people in your life constantly with the hope that you'll help them find Jesus. Humility is the fragrance of Jesus. The more you choose humility, the more your fragrance will emit Christ. It's really critical. So in this first response, I want to take a few moments. You might sit and reflect. You might go get prayer. You might take communion. You might kneel. Take a few moments and laser focus a conversation with God. Help me, Holy Spirit, to consistently, repeatedly choose humility. And perhaps you start right here and I begin with placing myself under your mighty hand. We don't gather for TED Talks. We don't gather for motivational speeches. We gather to let God speak to us through the authority of his word. Let's not waste his time. He joined us here that we might worship him, that he might speak to us, that he might consecrate us to himself. So take just a moment, then Karis is gonna lead us in a moment in a song. 
We're going to worship the Lord together while you're free in that whole space to move toward prayer or communion or sit, kneel, whatever is helpful. And then I'll come back and dismiss you in just a few moments. Let me pray for you. Father, in this moment, as we take just a little bit of time and open our ears and incline ourselves towards you, would you speak? Help us to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, you know every intimate detail of each one of our lives. So put your finger on the spot of our life where it needs to go and give us the discernment to see that. And help us to humble ourselves before you. If you need to remind us of someone we need to repent to that we have been arrogant and proud towards, if you're calling us to repentance, to turn around and stop living in a certain way, if you're calling us to lean on the presence and power of God more than we ever have, whatever it is, speak, Holy Spirit, to each one of us and help us to respond to you. I pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.